Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our podcast. I'll be joined by Seth Davis from CBS Sports and The Athletic and Turner Sports to discuss all things college basketball. Notre Dame head coach Mike Bray, San Diego State head coach Brian Dutcher, as well as Cats Ranks, Biggest Surprises, and March Chadness. That's Chad Aycock coming by to do some predictions with me. Before we get to that, as we are taping, um, important update, and I know this will change throughout the course of the week, um, so it's important to... Put this in perspective, I'm telling you this as we're taping here on Monday prior to Tuesday morning, but Keontae Johnson, who collapsed um, early on in the Florida State-Florida game in Tallahassee over the weekend, um, University of Florida on Monday late afternoon issued a statement that said that he'd been successfully transferred as planned from Tallahassee Memorial Hospital to University of Florida Health in Gainesville by Shan's Care. He continues in critical but stable condition as following simple commands and undergoing further tests. Um, so I just want to say right off the bat, we send all our thoughts and prayers to Keontae Johnson and the entire University of Florida program as hopefully, hopefully he makes a full recovery. Uh, really scary, tragic situation um, with what happened in that game. But I will just say this. I'm going to get on my soapbox for one second and say that Journalism 101, and I want to name names, but never, ever, 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 ever speculate on someone's condition, especially something like that. You know, whether or not it's related to COVID-19 is not an issue now, okay? Let's get him through this crisis situation, hopefully. And then when everything's all said and done, those issues can be addressed when they are allowed to talk about them. And it drives me crazy when people speculate on people's medical condition as extreme and severe as this, or with Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga when he slipped in the West Virginia game and immediately people are like, oh, that looks like an Achilles. Hope he's okay. Can't put any weight on it. Could be Achilles. No, it wasn't Achilles. He injured his foot. He came back in the game in the second half. He hobbled a little, but ultimately he'll be fine and Gonzaga's going to play this game, hopefully coming up this weekend against Iowa in South Dakota. But right off the bat, everyone's speculating. Stop it. Stop the speculation on injuries. It's irresponsible. Now, the current state of affairs. You'll hear me and Seth Davis talk about it, so I don't want to give that away. I'm going to talk to Mike Bray about it. I will just say this at the top. You'll hear me say it in my interviews. Number one, no one is making anyone play basketball. Nobody is making anyone play basketball. Zero. Okay? That's number one. You can opt out at any time, and you will get an extra year of eligibility. A coach doesn't feel comfortable coaching. You don't have to coach. And trust me, you would win in the court of public opinion and in the court of law, okay, if you don't feel comfortable and you don't feel safe. I'm not a lawyer, but I will tell you, there is nobody going against anybody in a pandemic if you don't feel safe in your work environment. 
or your playing environment. It's not happening now, and it won't happen. Number two, teams are doing that. Northern Iowa. Ben Jacobson said, you know what? We need a pause. We're not going to play these games. A.J. Green, their leading scorer, reigning Missouri Valley Player of the Year, he's having hip surgery, so they need a break, and that's fine. But I will say this, that every player that I've talked to, and you, if you're following what we're doing, you're hearing these interviews on our social media accounts, every single player has found joy in playing these games. I say these in the interviews, I'll say it here at the top, so it'll be repetitive when you listen. My daughter is a theater major at Northwestern. They weren't allowed to do theater. Can't do theater right now. There is no theater anywhere. These athletes can play their sport. That's their outlet. So trust me, for college students that can't do what their passion is, it is absolutely detrimental, okay? It is not good for anyone's mental health to not be able to do what you are passionate about. So I don't want to hear about this because these athletes are allowed to do what they love and they appreciate it. Every single one of them I've talked to is appreciative that this is their outlet because you know what? Outside of playing and practicing, that's all they're doing. They at least have that. The majority of college students who are on campus barely left their dorm rooms, okay? That is a critical thing to remember. And nobody is forcing them to play. Nobody. When you do go home, you do run the risk of a spread, of being exposed, and you're not going to be regularly tested. That's a critical point. And everyone knew the deal when they came on that if you wanted, you were likely going to stay through the holidays. And a lot of times these schools do stay through the holidays. Keep in mind, it's three days off is the legislation, if you will. It's not three days that have to be Christmas. It's three days. And so though you will still get three days off of practice during this time. And I think there are going to be some waivers through the NABC. Mike Bray and I are going to talk about this to allow at least some contact with them because of the unique situation that we're in. So that's going to happen. All right. That's my soapbox. We're going to talk about more of it. I just want to quickly just go over the top 25, the power 36. Um, not much change at the top. You can check all this out. Gonzaga, Baylor, Iowa, Michigan State, Villanova, Houston, those all for me. A lot of people question that at Texas 2i at 7. Um, Kansas, Creighton, 8-9. You could put them a couple spots higher. West Virginia, I have no problem if you want to put them higher at 10. Tennessee's back playing and looking good. Florida State, Missouri, you know, team of the week for us. Beat Illinois, have them one spot behind San Diego State. Um, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Virginia. And then after that, North Carolina, Oregon, St. Louis, Oklahoma State, Clemson, Xavier, they're all playing great. Some on pause, like Xavier. Michigan, UCLA, Indiana, UConn on pause. Richmond, uh, lost West Virginia, Ohio State, getting a little healthier, although E.J. Liddell's out now. Florida, Louisville, Texas Tech, USC, Arkansas, and Minnesota, the last two playing well, although um, Arkansas hasn't played anyone yet of note. You know, best game of the week was Kansas-Creighton. No question. One of the best games of the year, I think we'll see. Jordan Shackle was our player of the week. Missouri, our team of the week. Xavier is probably the best team on pause right now, not named Gonzaga or Baylor, I should say, because uh, they were 7-0 and before the pause. Uh, Houston's on pause too, excuse me. So outside of the top three that are on pause, I'd go Xavier in terms of playing the best basketball on pause right now. So a lot to get to, 
lot to digest. All our content is available, of course, on NCAA.com and all our March Madness social media platforms. Appreciate it. Let's get right to the interviews. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, my good friend Seth Davis from The Athletic and CBS Sports and, of course, Turner Sports as well during the NCAA tournament and the NBA draft. Uh, Seth, let's first get to the news of last week. Just for safety, uh, we're not going to play any non-conference games. We're not going to try to reschedule. We're also going to allow our our team to go home uh, for for Christmas. Do you think if Coach K hadn't lost the two non-conference games at home, if he'd still be saying that? Probably not. Okay. I just wanted you to say it, not me. So, I uh, look, here's here's my deal on it. I think we'd have a whole lot more problems if we weren't playing games. Coach K can really do what he wants. That's my opinion. If he wants to shut it down, send the kids home, that's fine. Uh, obviously, Nate Oates originally had an issue with that, has since apologized. What are your thoughts on the minor little controversy of comments between the two? Well, you know, um, First of all, thanks for having me, Andy. It's good to see a lot of people think we're the same person. So to see us, maybe not in the same room, but the same Zoom is a good thing. So happy holidays to you and everybody. Um, You know, listen, I I mean, I don't think, frankly, these other coaches have any uh, idea what it's like where every word that you say has the potential to be a nuclear bomb, you know. So uh, a lot of these guys have had their own opinions about what's happening and people simply don't comment on it. But as soon as Mike Krzyzewski says it, then it becomes a big thing and his motives are called into question. Um, you and I know from having covered all these conversations, even in the spring, I mean, he he is a uh, he's an outside the box disruptor on all this. From the very beginning, he's been the guy saying we should wait till January. We should move the tournament back and let everybody in. I mean, really radical ideas, which you might not anticipate. So this was not anything new that he was saying. So I think the blowback, and I gave uh, NATO a lot of credit for, for his mea culpa, and he called Krzyzewski, and they had a good conversation. He apologized. Just to, It was a cheap shot to say, oh, the only reason he said that is because his team lost. My issue with his comments, Andy, was not necessarily the substance or the concerns that he was expressing. It's that he didn't propose a course of action. He didn't say we should shut down the season. He didn't say we should keep playing. He didn't say everybody should get rid of non-conference games. He didn't say any of that. He said we should reassess and we need a commissioner and there's no leadership and this and that. And it's just the same old stuff. It's like, you know, you know, I hear people on TV saying, well, you know, we need to be having these conversations. We're having these conversations. We're not talking about anything else but this. And as I wrote in my column for The Athletic today, Andy, there are no good options here. This sucks. It all sucks. So what can you do? You have to pick a course of action. And so all you can do is pick the least bad option. And I think it's quite clear, both the science, the economics, and common sense, the least bad option is to do what we're doing, which is to play the season. We lose games. They pick up other games. They play when they can. When there's a test, there's health protocols that have to be um, you know, uh, followed. And you know, the last point that I would make, Andy, is you know, when people talk about, oh, what's best for the players, what's best for the players, these guys want to play. This is what they all their whole lives. I mean, they're trying to showcase their skills for the NBA. They know they have a short window to play college basketball. Basketball is what they love. So if they weren't playing in these games and on these campuses and in these programs, they'd be playing somewhere else. And they certainly wouldn't be surrounded by medical health professionals. I mean, as frightening and as awful as it was what happened to Keontae Johnson, um, and as of now, we still don't really know what's going on there. 
Um, for something like that to happen, he was he got the best medical care possible on the spot. So I know it's unpleasant for everybody, but it's the least bad option. And it's why I argue that the game should go on. But if Krzyzewski or if anyone else wants to argue otherwise, it's, it's certainly a valid argument to make. So I can put on two hats. And one hat is of now a college student, believe it or not. I know you'll get there soon. And I can tell you, since my daughter was at Northwestern, you know, at the beginning when she was there, it was not easy to get tested. And she finally could get into this routine where she could get tested. Yet the student athletes on campus, basketball, football, you name it, they can get tested like that. And so they are treated differently, which is fine. I'm fine with that. But they have access to testing that they would not have if they were home. The other thing is, just to use my daughter, who's a theater major, she couldn't do theater. She couldn't even go to the recital hall uh, or any of that stuff. The basketball players, the football players, they could actually play and they could practice. And that is their outlet. That's their sanctuary that I'm going to tell you that the majority of college students do not have right now. And so in that sense, it is something that's important for their mental health to be able to do this because you take that away from them. That's their identity right now at this point in their lives. And I think it would be incredibly destructive. Yeah. And of course, the counter to what you're saying is, you know, why would the university do that for their athletes and not for their theater majors? And I'm sorry, the reason is economics. And, uh, you know, I definitely think that people are so reluctant to make this case. And I think it's important, frankly, for folks like you and me to maybe give them a little bit of a safe space to make this case. Um, and people need to realize now College basketball is the only major sport that got canceled. Everything else either got postponed or resumed. You know, they finished the NBA playoffs. They truncated Major League Baseball, but they still had a World Series. College basketball had the unfortunate timing of the, of the pandemic breaking out, heading into the selection weekend. So um, for the NCAA to lose the tournament two years in a row would be absolutely catastrophic financially. Lost jobs, lost revenue, lost programs, lost a lot of things. And so uh, they're playing these games because they need the money. And we all know that it's true and everyone's afraid to say it. And I think we ought to just say it. Money is never more important than health and safety, but it is pretty doggone important. And if you can do it in a way that isn't 100% safe, but isn't exposing people to more risk than they would have otherwise, then I think the financials compel that, yeah, you're going to do things for your basketball players and your football players that you're just not going to do for your theater majors right now. It sucks. It's a pandemic. Hopefully it'll be over soon enough. And, you know, next year we won't be talking about it like this. Well, I'm going to give you credit for another point that you raised that I think you were dead on, which is we never should have moved it to November 25th. The more dates, the better. And that would be also a counter to what Coach K was proposing as well, you know, to move it to January or February. And Rick Pitino had said the same thing. You want to have more time to play because of exactly what is happening. You're going to have to make up games and, you know, some canceled, but more certainly in conference are being postponed. You were a proponent of keeping with November 10th for that very reason. Why? Flexibility. Like what you said. I mean, everyone's like, oh, it's so chaotic and we need a, like, I'm not a big uniform standard guy. Um, you know, the mission and the financials of the Big Ten and the ACC are different than uh, the West Coast Conference and the Big West, you know. Um, and so, you know, and when I would you know talk to members of the oversight committee about what they were trying to propose, you know, one of them said to me, well, if we leave it at November 10th and it looks like we're not making a decision on this and we're just and I said, well, actually, leaving it at November 10th is a decision. 
That is actually making a decision. And so um, it really came down to optics, which I think is always a bad reason. Uh, I shouldn't say always a bad reason because they do need to be factored in, but it wasn't a, the best reason to make that decision because they figured if we move it to November 25th, then the students are off campus because that was when a lot of the campuses were shutting down. And my thing, Andy, was just because you leave it at November 10th, you're not forcing anyone to play on November 10th. I mean, if you know any college or any conference wants to say, we are not going to start playing until November 25th, they don't have to start playing until January 1st. I mean, that was the original plan of the Pac-12. Everybody has the freedom to do what they want, given their situation. So um, I am an advocate for flexibility and local control. And when people say, well, that's too chaotic, you know, look at college football, it's so chaotic. And my answer to that is, well, if you want, you know, order and a lack of chaos, you've got the wrong pandemic. It's chaotic, but chaos is the price that you pay for the flexibility you need to, to get through any way that you can. Yeah. And the key thing you just said right there is that no one's making them play. And that is true now. It was true then, and it will continue. If any school wants to opt out, they can. We've already seen the Ivy League, a couple schools in the MEAC. And if Duke, at any point, as an example, decides, you know what, this just isn't worth it for us, that's fine. You don't have to play this season. You don't have to play any games. They don't have to play ACC. You're allowed to actually pull yourself out. Uh, And that also gets back to your original point about leadership. And I keep hammering this. And, you know, obviously... I work in conjunction with the NCAA, but I knew this before that when I was at ESPN for all those years, that Indianapolis does not control the regular season. Sure, they create the guardrails, the rules, uh, you know, what you can and can't do in terms of compliance. But the ACC Big Ten Challenge, for example, when the Michigan State-Virginia game was canceled, uh, likely canceled versus postponed, you can't point that at Indianapolis and say, you know, why was this game being scheduled? No. The ACC and the Big Ten, they're the two leagues in conjunction with the television partner for that ESPN said, this is when we're doing it. This is who's playing. And that's, if you want to point at anyone, then they shouldn't have been playing. But that also gets back to that leadership issue, Seth. And I know you've addressed this many times of people still don't get who controls what parts of the season. And that whole conversation about, you know, should the NCAA cancel the season? The NCAA doesn't have the power to cancel the season. The NCAA, and first of all, and again, this is such an old argument, but like, what do we mean? Whenever someone says, well, the NCAA this or the NCAA that, I always say, well, what exactly do you mean by the NCAA? Because the NCAA is actually the member schools. Now, there is an organization in Indianapolis that kind of runs things. And the main thing that they do competitive wise, really the only thing that they do is they run championships. And so like when people said, well, the NCAA, there should be a national testing standard. They don't have that ability to enforce a national testing standard, unless the schools voted that, right? So when they say, well, but they have the ability to say, you can't put cream cheese on a bagel on a recruiting visit. Well, those are rules that the schools have passed. So the folks in Indianapolis have the the good fortune of uh, enforcing that. And it's just, you know, I go back to this argument, how many times, well, we need a commissioner, you know, we need a czar. The only, let me tell you something, the only way making a, appointing a czar for college basketball is a good idea is if I'm the czar. Let's be honest. If you want to give it to me, I will solve all these problems. That aside, it's not a good idea. And why is it a panacea? Like I wrote today, like everyone wants a commissioner until he or she makes a decision you don't like, and then you want to shred him. 
And the other thing is, you know, to quote my favorite uh, uh, figure in all of history, Frederick Douglass, uh, when he said power concedes nothing. So the only way that you're going to have a commissioner is if the ACC and the Big 12 and the SEC say, you know what, we don't want to run things for ourselves. We want to cede our power and our authority to somebody else. That goes against uh, human nature. So it's not a good idea. It's not practical. It's never going to happen. And it's a total straw man. So please stop assigning the lack of a commissioner or czar. I'll end with this, Andy. You know, the NCAA doesn't even have control over the college football postseason. Like at least it runs a college basketball postseason. But college basketball does have something that football doesn't, and that's Dan Gavin. And the work that he's done as the executive VP for men's basketball in the NCAA, again, without a whole lot of controlling authority, but being that liaison who can marshal kind of like this general secretary of the United Nations, can't vote, can't impose, but can marshal dialogue, can listen, can bring people to the table, can be a national voice. Um, he is so well-liked and respected and humble, and he is a great, great asset to the sport. So this is the best we got. And it is so fun having games to watch and write and talk about and box scores to read. I'm on Synergy all day and I'm on the phone thinking about things. So um, I'm very grateful that everyone involved in the sport has found a way to make even this happen as chaotic and as disruptive as it's been. Last question for you. But before I want to just say this, that I can't imagine in any scenario where the SEC, let's say even in football, would want someone above them telling them whether or not you know, Alabama could play football this particular season. That's never happening. And the other thing, just to put a bow on it, uh, is a great example of what happened to Gonzaga a couple of weeks ago is why you can't mandate this. They're in Lee County playing in Fort Myers. They had a positive test. Lee County allows them to play that game. Week later, you know this because you were going to do the game in the halftime. They're in Marion County, Indianapolis. They have another positive. That health protocol, health department says, no, you can't play this game. 50 states. You could argue 50 different you know, health departments viewing same data differently. And fans were at the Texas Villanova game. They were at the Kansas Creighton game. They're not at a lot of other games around the country. The NCAA can't say no fans or yes fans because every state's going to view it differently. Not only 50 states, but in each of those 50 states, dozens of counties. Yes. I mean, I'm here in California. L.A. County is different than Orange County is different than Marin County. It's, it's, it's quite an interesting time. And the last thing I'll just say is uh, I minored in Russian history and the <laughs> czar era did not end well for those that are historians. So czars. It didn't end well for the czars. Yes, I know that. Yes. So I don't think people want to be a czar based on history. All right. Last quick question. I love your, I don't know if you're going to take credit for it, Garzilla, but assuming he stays healthy, is there any way anyone can challenge him for a player of the year? I don't think so. First of all, I don't get credit. I Someone on Twitter mentioned it. I may actually have to give, and I loathe to do this, as you know, I may have to give credit to Seth Greenberg for Garzilla. I was looking to see whoever first came up with it, you know, props uh, to them. And if it was Seth, I'm happy to give him his props. You know, I mean, you never say never. I mean, the two players that come to mind are uh, Io DeSumo and Drew Timmy. Um, but Drew Timmy might not be the best player on his own team at, at Gonzaga. So, I mean, Garza, again, what a gift to college basketball. Uh, I mean, I was watching him. The other night with my son, he's just went off on the in, in the second half and he had, I don't know, 17 points in a row, I think. And the thing about him is it's like, uh, you know, the old song from uh, Sound of Music. How do you solve a problem like Luca? Because it, it, you cannot play him one on one in the post. He will destroy you. 
Um, not to mention that he can step out, but if you double him, they have so many great three-point shooters. And by the way, if he gets into foul trouble, you have a mini Garza now and, and Jack Nunji coming off the bench. So I've been uh, very, very impressed with Iowa. And, and again, what, what a gift we have coming uh, this weekend on CBS Gonzaga against Iowa. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I know I shouldn't say that out loud. Forget it, I even mentioned it. I didn't mention it. Anyway, it's good to see you, pal. All right, good to see you, Seth. Appreciate it. Stay safe. All right, be well. Be safe, everybody. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, time for Cats Ranks here at March Madness, March Madness 365. Let's start with the top 10 most surprising teams in the country for the week of December 14th. At number 10, Drake. You say, how can Drake be on this list? Well, Liam Robbins, their best player, big man, he goes to Minnesota. More on the Gophers here shortly. And they're off to an undefeated start out of the Valley. Haven't played a Valley game yet. Did beat Kansas State early, and I know they're struggling, but Drake looks like a team with Northern Iowa now essentially out of the race. A.J. Green done for the season with a hip surgery. They could be right there with Loyola Chicago. Uh, you know, I wouldn't give up on Bradley, obviously, either. Uh, but Drake could be right there for the, the whole race this whole season. Big surprise when you lose Liam Robbins. Number nine, Penn State. I wrestled Penn State, Louisville. Here's the deal with Penn State. Coaching change right before the season in a pandemic. Pat Chambers out, Jim Ferry in, buzzer beater beat VCU. Hammer, Virginia Tech, after Virginia Tech had beaten Villanova on the road. Should have beaten Seton Hall, lose that game in overtime. And yes, I know they lost their opener at Michigan in the Big Ten, but with Seth Lundy, Miles Dredd, they're figuring out a way. They've got great buy-in. I like this Penn State team. They're better than everyone projected. At number eight, I'm going Marquette. Dawson Garcia obviously had a lot of pub. Justin Lewis, 18 off the bench, buzzer beater to beat Wisconsin. I know they lost to UCLA, and I know they got this game against Creighton as I'm taping, and they did lose to Oklahoma State, but they're still better than I thought, and I think it's a surprise, and I think they're going to be a factor in the Big East. Seven, SMU. They are going to be the team that challenges Houston in the American. Not Cincinnati, not Memphis. Beat Dayton in the buzzer. SMU, watch out for them. At six, Minnesota. Gotch, Booth Gotch from Utah, transfer eligible. Liam Robbins, transfer from Drake, eligible. Two major factors inside for them. Marcus Carr is an All-American right now. This Minnesota team is going to finish in the thick of it in the Big Ten and challenge for an NCAA tournament berth. At number five, before they paused, they were 7-0. First team to go 7-0. Xavier, hammered Oklahoma. Zach Fremantle is one of the best players in the Big East right now. Not Paul Scruggs. Fremantle. Xavier definitely going to be a factor in the Big East. At number four, Clemson. Already beaten Big Ten teams, Purdue, Maryland, knocked off Alabama and Atlanta. This Clemson team led by Amir Sims. They got great buy-in with Brad Bunnell. They defend. Variety of ways of scoring. They're going to be in the mix in the ACC. At number three, Oklahoma State. Cowboys are better than just Cade Cunningham, who had the buzzer beater to beat Wichita State. One at Marquette. Fran Fischilla, my friend, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, covers the Big 12. He said that this team's going to be pretty good, and Mike Boynton doing a great job. And by the way, as we speak here in mid-December, they're still eligible for the NCAA tournament. That has not changed. And number two, San Diego State. The Aztecs. I thought Boise State would be the best team in the Mountain West Conference. It's clearly San Diego State. They defend. Jordan Shackle was our March Madness Player of the Week. They're scoring a lot easier. Matt Mitchell, obviously, major contributor. Without Malachi Flynn, there seemed to be an expectation that they would struggle, and that didn't happen. One at Arizona State, beat UCLA, got BYU coming up this week. They're the best team in the Mountain West Conference, one of the best teams out West. And then number one, it's Missouri. In mid-December, Missouri and Tennessee are the two best teams in the SEC. 
They've got great experience with Smith, Drew Smith, Mark Smith, Tillman, Jeremiah Tillman, and Xavier Pinson. Conzo Martin doing a great job. He's so steady. This team defends. They got great buy-in. They waited for this moment. Experience. Knocking off Illinois. Beat Oregon in the neutral. Beat Wichita State. Mizzou is the most surprising team to everyone outside of Columbia this season. Top 10, number one, mid-December on the Cats ranks, most surprising teams, the Mizzou Tigers. And now joining me here, March Madness, March Madness 365, San Diego State head coach, Brian Dutcher. Brian, once again, you guys are consistently good. And it shouldn't be a surprise to those that follow the sport, but you've done it again. Already knocked off UCLA at home to start the season and then just won at Arizona State in really convincing fashion. How are you getting it done again? Got a culture. I know that word's overused, but this is my 22nd year on campus, Andy. So I came a long time ago with Steve Fisher. He built something special here and I've been blessed to take it over and just trying to maintain that culture, that tradition and and play basketball the way it's supposed to be played. Play hard at the defensive end and then play unselfish at the offensive end. You know, and I love this. I love the fact that you were given this opportunity uh, to have the baton pass because we've seen it work. Um, you could argue, you know, one of the greatest examples certainly is of Judd Heathcote to Tom Izzo at Michigan State. And obviously you're very familiar with uh, the Big Ten and everything that's happened there over the last uh, 20 years or so. But w- what was it about that apprenticeship and then that baton passing that has made it so smooth? I learned from my dad a long time ago, who was a college coach, Jim Dutcher at the University of Minnesota. You know, if you can take a job, take the best job in your conference. And I'm not sure it was that when we got here, but I think it is now. And uh, uh, we have the facilities. We have the support from the community, the city, the university. We've built something special here. And so it helps recruiting. I told the kids in the locker room, I've got a group of character kids in this locker room, and that's why we're winning. And so it's all leads to culture. I've got a great assistant coaching staff with Dave Velasquez, Chris Acker, Jay Morris. So I've got good people surrounding me and it makes life easier. Well, I can tell you, and you know my history, I was back in the days of the Peterson Gym, the old San Diego Sports Arena, which probably is most known for being the home of Almost Famous in that movie. Other than that, you know, <laughs> things were bad in the uh, early 90s in San Diego at San Diego State. So I've seen what it has become at Viejas and the show and just everything. And hopefully the show will be coming back next season. But it really is remarkable because of the growth of this. And you always knew it was sort of that sleeping giant, that untapped potential. If I can just one other thing to go back, what was it? What did you guys see when you got there that you knew that it could be tapped to get to where you are today? I remember when Steve took the job all those years ago, Rick Bay hired him and uh, I had resume in hand. I was at the final four, I think in Tampa, Florida. I was looking for my next position. He called me up and said, I'm taking San Diego State. I need you to come and promise me you'll stay three years with me to help start building this. And 22 years later, here I sit. But Viejas Arena was just built. And uh, the coaching staff before us, Fred Trinkle, didn't have a chance to really build to that. But they had a facility finally that was as nice as there is anywhere in the country. And so we had something to draw to. And uh, we started recruiting. We rolled our sleeves up. We started recruiting. And when we first got here, we had to get kids that believed in our vision for the program and believe in what we thought this could be. And we had guys like Randy Holcomb, Tony Bland come back from Syracuse 
and players helped us build it. Now the guys that come, they they know we can do it. They've seen us do it. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, Malachi Flynn now, Jalen McDaniels, all in the NBA from San Diego State. And uh, we've won. And we've been in the tournament, and we want to get on the biggest stage. We want to play ourselves into a Final Four, and that's the goal. And it's just been a building process, and, and we continue to build. All right, so you lose Malachi Flynn, and I think, to me, this is a great example of a program not a team. When you can sustain, you know, seniors who are pros or early entrants to leave and not miss a beat, how have you been able to keep that going to where you don't dip more than maybe a spot or two in the conference standings? It's a challenge. You have to get good people. You know, there's always talent out there. And that's the challenge this year is as you're recruiting, you know, you don't get to see these kids game after game after game to see what kind of character they have on the floor. And and we're where we are because we have guys uh, not only that are program kids like Matt Mitchell, Jordan Shackle, uh, Adam Seiko, Nathan Mensah, Gwuka Rope, who all came as freshmen. But then we add transfers that are character kids like Terrell Gomez, uh, Joshua Tomajic. A year ago, it was Malachi, Yanni, Wetzel, and KJ Fagan. And so we've been able to mix uh, kids that want to win more than anything else into our program. And, and to win, you have to sacrifice. And so they've all sacrificed part of their games in order to win, but they come from great families, uh, great high school programs, and we're just blessed to have them with us. And I will say this, because you know I've covered this league or parts of it, whether it's in person, when I was living out West or nationally, um, your consistency has allowed the program to be near the top. I mean, there's been coaching changes, obviously, at Nevada, um, Utah State, New Mexico, and it's been very difficult for them to sustain that high level of excellence you know, boys, you will see if they can keep it up. But I mean, we know that that's been a problem at a lot of those other schools to stay at the top. All right. So this team, you beat UCLA on that opening night. You just win at Arizona State. Uh, Obviously, your defense has always been an anchor. But that game against Arizona State, I think, showed even more so that this team will not have any kind of offensive droughts, or at least shouldn't. Uh, What's been the biggest difference, you think, offensively? Because we always kind of assume that your defense is going to be what it always is, which is pretty stable. Yeah, we're good defensively. You know, we spend a lot of time on it, though, and we switch up game plans depending on the opponent. And we've got a really tough opponent uh, Friday against BYU who just gets better and better. So that's going to be the ultimate challenge. But uh, offensively, I told the guys, we we shouldn't be anywhere near what our rhythm is going to be as the season goes on. You add new pieces. You've only played five games. Uh, they have to learn to play with each other and learn what each other's strengths are, put themselves in the best position to be dangerous, and that will take some time. So I think we'll continue to get better offensively every game. And then defensively, we just have to know that uh, that's our anchor. That's that's what everything's based on, that when we go through a cold spell at the offensive end, our defense will hold us in the game until we figure out something that's working for us. And we've been able to run that formula for a number of years. And last thing, Brian, I mean, I know every part of California, every county is different as how, you know, they're dealing with surges and San Diego, for the most part, you know, comparatively to other parts of the state has been okay. You guys have, you know, fingers crossed, managed this pandemic so far well. Um, How has it been for you to navigate this? You obviously have now just been on the road at least one time. What's that been like to sort of go through what you've gone through so far to this point? Yeah, it's been a challenge, you know. Like all programs, I like to bring the kids back in the summer to get them acclimated. We didn't do that this year because protocols were so strict that I thought they were getting more work done away from me than they would with me. When we came back, like everybody, it was one coach, one player. We couldn't rebound for them. They had to rebound their own shot. 
and we built a two on two, three on three. And, and we had a whole department pause at the start of the year where everyone shut down for two weeks. And now we're pretty close to normal, Andy. We're working them out in the morning where we're getting individual work done. Afternoons, we're building the team concept. And so we're as close to normal as you can be. There could be a pause at any moment. We're, we're, we've been fortunate to avoid it. But I know it can happen. But we're so grateful to every time we can get on the floor. Uh, we're as close to a normal existence as we could be right now. And we're grateful for that. Well, Brian, I appreciate it. Stay safe. And once again, San Diego State is having a fantastic season. Fingers crossed that uh, it continues. Uh, and I know we're going to be talking about the Aztecs quite a bit this season. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Andy. And now joining me here are March Madness, March Madness 365, Notre Dame head coach Mike Bray. And Mike, before we get to your big win at Kentucky and your upcoming game against Duke, I just want to talk in general here. And I think things have died down, but obviously when Coach K says something, everyone reacts. My opinion has been from the beginning that no one's making you do anything, and I wouldn't pass judgment on anyone's decision. You want to play? Great. If you don't want to play, that's fine too. That goes for coaches, players, anyone involved that doesn't want to be involved or wants to be involved. And I think we've seen that already with the Ivy League, with some schools in the MEAC, most of the Patriot League's not playing until January. So we've seen schools make these kinds of decisions and others have decided to pause for a little while until things can get under control. And that's fine. Um, where, do you, where do you stand on it now versus maybe where you were at the beginning? You know, and, and I respect Mike's opinion. And, you know, he was really talking about slowing down back in the summer when we had our weekly ACC meetings and he stayed true to that. I love that. Um, I looked and I saw the stat where only 20% of our games have been canceled. We've played 80%. Andy, I think that's pretty good odds right now, given what we're facing. My AD, and I want to say at least four meetings with my team, made it very clear to every player you can opt out at any time their parents are very much in the loop on our protocols and our testing. And that option is there at any time for anybody opt out, including me and the coaches and certainly any of the young men. But I have liked that we've kind of soldiered on and have found a way to test and play safely. I certainly look at the mental health of our guys that we've been in the gym together and now getting to compete together. And you mentioned the Kentucky win, the therapy and the experience that this young group got to, you know, feel uh, in Rupp Arena the other day. I, I, I can't, you know, you just can't put an educational value or self-esteem or a confidence value on something like that. So I like that we keep trying. There are days I have been weak in the knees about going on. Don't, don't get me wrong. We all have been, but I think it's day to day and, and we're hoping we can play Duke on Wednesday and have a great atmosphere and a chance to compete. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say a couple of things. First of all, um, the word that just pops in my head, and it's not just because it's the holiday season, but has been joy. Um, and I've talked to so many players over the last couple of weeks uh, after buzzer beaters, after last possession shots, uh, and whether it's Justin Lewis or Marquette or Scotty Barnes at Florida State or Georgie Bashanisvili after they beat Duke, and they all have expressed this joy and, and this release that they've had of finally something good uh, in their lives. And so these student-athletes are at least getting the chance to do that on a college campus because the majority of students on college campuses aren't really allowed to do anything. 
And I look, I'm going to say that the quarantine part, that's not fun for anybody. And that's really mental. I mean, that's depressing. I don't care who you are, athlete, non-athlete, to be quarantined, isolated. That is, yes, there's no question that can be mentally debilitating. But actually participating in something that you love to do, I think can be therapeutic. And these players are getting a chance to experience that. No question. It is a mental health aspect for them. It's been a mental health positive for me to be able to teach my guys every day and be around them. And really, that's all they hang around with. They go back to their apartments. They have not had a social life. They've been amazing at sacrificing and understanding the protocols and staying disciplined because they want to continue to play. I have a lot of respect for them and and that we give them this chance to compete. And I, I remember I saw their eyes Saturday afternoon in the locker room in Rupp Arena. I'm like, my God, that was just so important. And, and, and the Tuesday before, we lost Ohio State, but it was a great game, 98-85, and we were competing, and just that was good. So I, I darn sure hope we all test negative in Durham and South Bend, and we can play Wednesday. <laughs> so to that point, um, you know, last season, uh, obviously, through injuries, and it was a disappointment. We know that. You know, and, and and there's been a little bit of a dip, but it feels like things are moving back up. You've had this before. You've rolled that that roller coaster. So, uh, COVID aside, what is it about this group which really came in with, you know, not a lot of expectations? I mean, you didn't have that on your shoulders. Okay, you're expected to win the ACC or anything like that. And, and as you said, um, right off the bat, you were close to winning that Ohio State game. Um, I know the Michigan State game. There was that middle part that got away from you. Um, I think it was like a 19-0 run. You take that out, you know, and, and the game was much different. So that was a little bit of a blip. Uh, and then obviously the way you guys played at Kentucky and holding, you know, getting off the big lead and then holding them off. What is it so far about this group that's impressed you the most? Well, the junior class, when they were freshmen, as you remember, Andy, we threw them to the Wolves. We played them. It was one of my younger rotations. And we I told them the other night after the Ohio State game, and you finished 15th. You finished last. Now, we went to Charlotte and won an ACC tournament game, which showed some character. Last year, this group as sophomores were two and six in the ACC coming out of Tallahassee in January. We went nine and four. We played 21 ACC games, went 11 and 10. But I told them after the Ohio State game, I said, but we beat everybody around us in the standings or below. We couldn't beat Virginia. We couldn't beat Florida State. Good games. And Ohio State was one and were in the process of trying to get one of those. I said it in the locker room after the Ohio State game. And I was so proud that I thought Saturday was a step for this group to get one that maybe they're not supposed to get. And then, of course, the way we scheduled, and maybe I should have my head examined, my attitude was in the midst of mental health and let's just play great games for these kids. And, and, Certain, I mean, we were going to play Tennessee too. That's how crazy I was until Rick Barnes got COVID. So, you know, it come here comes we got Duke, we got Purdue, we got Syracuse, then we got Virginia. That's our December, but it's awesome for our kids. And I do feel this junior class, Hub Lashevsky, you know, uh, uh, Goodwin, those kids, uh, you know, now have grown and they look more like ACC players than they did as freshmen when I threw them to the Wolves. So I have quoted you many times, Mike, over our, you know, 20 plus year uh, friendship here. And uh, one of your famous lines that I use often is get old and stay old. 
I'm a disciple of that comment. But I would say, and I've used it even more this year, that I think it applies now more than ever because of the adversity, because of the sacrifice and the discipline that older teams are going to have to make. I'll be shocked if when we get to Indy that it's not older experienced teams that last the longest. No, great point. And and I finally got back to an older rotation with this group. And you're right. I think they follow the COVID protocols. They're more disciplined about their life away from the practice facility. And, and then certainly older players have always helped us. I had that one young year and man, did I take my medicine. And then we've been back, really, we've been able to stay old because we have four and five year guys and one and dones really aren't coming this way. And that's fine. And, and, uh, but, but I agree with you. You know, there's something about experience. And that really served us on Saturday. You know, Kentucky is just so young and it's early and we're older and we just kind of were able to hang in there because we were older for 40 minutes. And, and uh, again, I, I think I agree with you. We could keep this thing going at 80 percent of the games played. That's 20 games. If you were, you know, Dan Gavin on a Zoom call with the ACC coaches back in August said, you know, we feel if a kid gets 20 games, that's a heck of an experience. Remember, their bar is so low, you only have to play 13 to be tournament eligible. So, you know, it's it's if we can keep plugging at 80 percent safely, I think that's as good as it gets. Well, and I will say this one thing that's a little misleading is if people follow on social media all the postponements or cancellations in the non-conference, a lot of those games are just being replaced. Um, Very few are actually being outright canceled where people are playing less games, unless you're on pause for, you know, an extended period of time. And that is happening. But the majority are replacing. Wisconsin loses. Louisville, they're replacing with Rhode Island. So their games are still happening at a high clip. And the conference games, I, I will be really surprised, unlike football, because we've got a longer lead time in basketball, I'll be really shocked if these conference games are not made up. Um, you know, at some point in January and February, the few that have already had to be postponed in the Big East, um, and I think the Pac-12 so far in the Big 12. A um, couple quick things, Mike. Fans. Some places have them, some don't. Notre Dame has allowed it. Uh, what's the difference? Well, we announced our attendance the other night, they told me, at Ohio State. And attendance tonight, 150. <laughs> but I'll say this. Now, Lexington, Kentucky had 3,000. Of course, the building seats 20. But the people that are in charge of the button for electric noise, the crowd noise, they're getting really good at all our home arenas. They know how when we're on a run. And the other day against Kentucky down the stretch when they were pressing us, that guy had his finger on the button. The crowd was going off. I'm looking around. I said, where is that coming from? <laughs> but, you know, the kids just want to compete. You know, they, they just that, that we get the chance to play and compete. I, I, they just want it and uh, and and they're enjoying it and, and they understand it's kind of a uh, it, it's really unbelievable that we're at least getting to play. And they're I think they're valuing every day competing together. So you are the former president of the NABC. You know, I talked to Craig Robinson, the new executive director of the NBC last week. And uh, the one thing, and I saw this, I was actually in the bubble at Mohegan Sun for about eight of the 12 days. And some officials were good. Some weren't. Some coaches wear the trend strap. Some don't. Um, how do we keep that going to where there's better adherence of, of masking for both coaches and officials? I think what's going to happen is when we get to league games, Andy, 
our leagues are going to be able to get on our butts more and maybe fine us or the officials if we don't keep them up. And I, I have violated. I saw clips of me in Lexington. You pull it down sometimes to yell, to project your voice. And I'm trying to remember, you know, you got to talk through it. And uh, yeah, when you yell and project, that's when the spit comes. I know. I know. So so I think we're all, you know, doing different things. And and uh, but I, but I do believe when we get to league games only, which is coming and, and after Christmas, our leagues, rightfully so, will take a stronger stance on, hey, if, if it's all there's going to be a fine and rightfully so. You know, you mentioned Christmas. And that was one thing that Coach K is doing, uh, although they're, I think, going to come back before. Um, I just saw Ben Jacobson, Northern Iowa. They're, you know, they've got an injury with A.J. Green, so they're going to pause for the holidays. Um, look, it, it's a sacrifice. There's no question. But there are consequences if you do go home. Um, and I know that was being discussed at the NABC and early with the NCAA about that, about, you know, because it's three days off. It's not necessarily three days that you have to go home. Um, and I know it's a tough decision, but you do get into, if you do go home, you have to go through all the protocols again. And you could be, you know, could be down for seven to 10 to 14 days. How did you weigh that with your group? I took the stance back in the summer. I didn't want them back in July. There was too much unknown. And people had their kids back, but then they couldn't do things with them and they weren't able to get in the practice facility. So I said, look, I am not bringing you back till August 1st. We started school early, August 10th. Because understand, when you come back, you are not going home for Thanksgiving, and you never have. We're always playing. But you're not going home for Christmas. I want you to tell your mamas, and I've got probably 12 moms pissed off at me. I get it. But you got to understand, we can't risk coming back and then a quarantine, and then we have an ACC game canceled. We have Virginia December 30th. And and so our guys have been great. And Cormac Ryan, the transfer who's eligible for us who's doing a great job he said coach we've been home enough we've been home enough we're fine so I think the only people that are upset with the coaches are the moms and I get that now what has happened families have come here for Thanksgiving to South Bend but I love the fact they don't interact with their kids a lot it's not like come over to the hotel room for three hours they've kind of said hello with masks and gotten away And I really give the families credit. I also think, Andy, on those three off days, we're going to get some relief. Come on. We need to be with our guys. They can't not see the coaches for three days. I'm doing Christmas dinner at my house. It's going to be me and 12 players, no assistance. We used to do the families. 12, we're coming to my house, and we're going to have it catered on Christmas Eve. But I believe, and Craig Robinson's done a great job on this front, we are going to get some relief on those three days where we can do something with our kids. So they're not just out on an Island during the holiday. And the last thing, uh, a mutual friend of ours used to be at Notre Dame, uh, Jim Phillips uh, was just named the ACC commissioner to replace John Swafford when he officially retires. Uh, I think it's a massive loss for the big 10 and Northwestern because he's an unbelievable administrator an even better person. Your thoughts on him being the next commissioner. Grand slam for the ACC. We stole one from the Big Ten. We'll take it. He was my sport administrator when I got here. We were both hired. Kevin White was hired a couple months before me, and Jim Phillips came along with the first staff. We all were new together in 2000 here in South Bend, 
And Jim is a hoops guy, as we know, his back. He used to run Bill Frieder's basketball camp. He was part of the lawsuit. He got a check. He got a check from the NSA. And he's getting a big check now from the ACC, by the way. Anyways, he is fabulous for us. I can't wait to work with him uh, in the ACC. Great hire for the ACC, as I said. A loss for Northwestern in the Big Ten, but not for college athletics because he's done wonders for that. Uh, stay safe, Mike. You got your game coming up uh, this week against Duke. I appreciate it. And uh, the Irish certainly are going to be a team to watch after the win at Kentucky. Happy holidays and stay safe, Andy. And now it's time for March Chadness here on March Madness 365. And Chad, uh, we've got over 80% of the games are still being played. And most importantly, I think what we're seeing is games that were postponed uh, for the most part, you know, a lot of teams are either replacing those games or trying to reschedule. And I think once we get into the heart of conference play, uh, I'll be very surprised, unlike football, because they didn't have as many dates. I think we're going to get the majority, if not all, of the conference games made up if they end up being postponed. I know non-conference is more difficult, but I do think we're going to get the majority of the conference games played. I'm optimistic about that because we got more dates to play with. And uh, just recently, the Big East uh, came out with its rest of its schedule because they were holding off and they they built in some dates to basically play makeup games in February. So I'm still cautiously, but, you know, I'd say very optimistic that we're going to get most of these games in, which allows us to make predictions. And last week, uh, I think it did pretty well. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, you know, two weeks ago, you went six and one. And then last week you kept it going. You went four and two. Uh, we did have two of those games that were postponed or canceled, but, uh, uh, yeah, you had a great week. You know, the only two losses, you had the heartbreaker with Creighton falling at Kansas in a great game. Uh, and then your other loss was that Arizona State. It just They got handled at home by uh, San Diego State. But big wins. Iowa over UNC. Illinois got that road win at Duke. West Virginia took down a, an undefeated Richmond team. And then most impressively was Missouri coming through for you uh, against Illinois. A lot of people were kind of questioning your pick. Uh you know, they they saw that you had Illinois beating Duke, but they were like, oh, how could they lose at, you know, at Missouri if they're going to beat Duke? Uh, but you proved the haters wrong, and over the last couple weeks, you're, you're sitting at 10-3. and three. Um, It's a pretty strong start. I mean, did you expect this? What did you think of the Illinois fans coming at you and getting to prove them wrong? Well, it's funny because I took it from both sides there on from Illinois because, uh, yeah, a lot of Illinois fans were hitting up my feed saying that I was crazy that if any way it was going to be the other way around. Uh, but I think what we're seeing, Chad, with Duke and Kentucky, if there's ever a year to be experienced, and we heard earlier in the podcast with Mike Bray, it's been his line I've used many times and quoted him, is that it, uh, you, know, you need to get old and stay old. This is the year for that. Uh, and, and I should say that Duke and Kentucky, while they're young, they're not Zion young. Uh, I think I'd have a different comment if those schools, you know, if it was Anthony Davis at Kentucky, Zion Williamson at Duke, they've got talent, but not that kind of talent in terms of one and done type players. So that's a big difference, too, as to why I think they're struggling versus teams that have experience. And Missouri has experience. They've been building toward this. Uh, and by the way, they've now beaten Illinois three straight times. So I wasn't shocked by it uh, at all that they came through and actually split that you know, those two games in that manner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Illinois fans were questioning uh, your pick there. And then after the game, they switched that <laughs> anger into you flipping the coin to have the game yes. during the first place. <laughs> so, Well, I'll tell you, one of the things, Chad, that people were even more upset was 
that initially, I, I didn't realize this when they asked, when actually both schools asked me to do the coin flip as a neutral party, but I didn't realize also that the coin flip was going to determine the television network. And so had Illinois won, it would have been on Big Ten Network. Had Missouri won, which they did, it was going to be on either ESPN or SEC Network. And then because it was on a football Saturday, a Saturday that normally is not a football Saturday, you know, in years past, December 12th, at one point it was on the SEC alternate, uh, whatever that is. Brutal. And so there were a lot of fans were upset, like, I don't even have that channel. Uh, then ESPN ended up moving it to ESPNU. Ultimately, it started on news, but ended up on ESPNU. So plenty of people saw it. Yeah. Well, this week we do have more games. Uh, a lot of good matchups. Maybe not as strong as like top 10, top 10 matchups, but we're going to pick 11 games here uh, starting Tuesday night. Let's look at Minnesota at Illinois. We're going back to the Illinois train. Uh, Minnesota, hot start, as you kind of covered in your catch ranks. Uh, undefeated, but they do have a tough matchup in Champaign. How do you see Illinois doing after uh, splitting the week last week? Um, I think they'll get this one. You know, they've got to make sure, A, that Kofi Coburn stays out of foul trouble. And this is another thing that Illinois um, certainly came at me with as well, you know, thinking that I didn't, hit, you know, just to harp on the officials. But look, the, you know, they end up getting a flagrant one late on Kofi Coburn. And anytime there's the hand is extended, officials are going to tend to call that. So he's got to stay on the floor. Um, that's critical. I would assume he's got to make better decisions late. Normally he does. The last possession against Missouri was a little befuddling, the way he just sort of jacked up that shot. I think things will settle down. I think Illinois wins this game. And then Wednesday night, we've got number 21 Duke at Notre Dame. We heard from Mike Bray on the pod. Uh, you know, Duke had to cancel their non-conference games, but they're playing this game, 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock Eastern Wednesday night. Uh, the Fighting Irish, they've played a lot of tough teams. Ohio State, you know, they had that tough loss, but they did win at Rupp Arena. Who do you see winning this game? I'm going to go with the Irish. I never would have said that. And this will be quite a little tailspin for Duke as they head off to their mini break before they resume their ACC schedule uh, right after Christmas. But uh, I think the confidence that Notre Dame received after winning at Rupp, uh, the fact that uh, they'll be playing at home where they really should have beaten Ohio State, lost that chance. They will have some fans, even though it'll be a smattering of fans. They're allowed in South Bend, not allowed at Duke. Uh, I think that will make a difference. And uh, Mike Bray convinced me in talking to him. He feels good about his group. I'm going with the Irish. Yeah, I like the pick. Notre Dame at home. I agree with the pick. Even if, if Duke was at home, I'd probably pick Notre Dame the way Duke's played at home. So I agree with you there. Thursday, number five, Kansas at number 14, Texas Tech. Big-time matchup in the Big 12. Uh, the Red Raiders, they've won five games by 20 or more points, uh, four of those games by 30 or more. But despite that high margin of victory, they don't really have a signature win yet. They lost against Houston in their only real chance to get that win so far. But Kansas, they've won six straight since losing to Gonzaga. Uh, so who do you like winning this game? So I'm going to go with Texas Tech. Uh, and Red Raider fans have been on me about where I've had them in the Power 36, which has been toward the back. And that's exactly... Um, to your point, is exactly why. Because their one up game, if you will, uh, playing a peer, uh, they lost. And, you know, Houston was the much better team in that game in Fort Worth. So they have to prove themselves. I think they will against a Kansas team that almost let that Creighton game get away from them. Uh, and now Creighton's really good. We know that. But I'm going to go with the Red Raiders. I think Mac McClung will continue his high percentage in terms of making shots. Uh, and so I'm going to go with the Red Raiders here. Okay. Now, Friday. BYU 
at number 18, San Diego State. Uh, big, this is a pretty fun West Coast matchup. Uh, we heard from the Aztecs on the pod, so surely you're not picking against them here, are you? I'm not. Um, boy, I tell you, this brings back memory of um, what a great run when Kawhi was at San Diego State and Jimmer Fredette was at BYU. Uh, when those two, two schools were going at it, that was some tremendous basketball out West. I went to one of those two games that particular season, and that was just unbelievable basketball. Unfortunately, and I will say this to our listeners, the Marriott Center at BYU and Viejas Arena at San Diego State, they call themselves the show. When hopefully we can come back to when fans are like that, um, they're two of the best home courts in the country. And I know they don't get enough publicity, but those two home courts are something special. We won't have that in this matchup with San Diego State. But I think defensively, what San Diego State consistently does is they make you beat them. And while BYU has a chance offensively to be pretty productive. Uh, We've seen flashes where defensively they just can't hold it down. They lost that game to uh, USC at the Mohegan Sun. They lost to Boise at home. I don't think they beat San Diego State on the road. Yeah, I don't either. Mark Pope's a great coach, but I don't think they have have the guys to win at San Diego State this year. Uh, Let's look at the weekend, Saturday. Big matchup. Number three, Iowa against number one, Gonzaga in Sioux Falls. Uh, two really strong, just high-powered offenses. Iowa's averaging over 100 points a game through six games. But a big factor here is this is going to be Gonzaga's first game since December 2nd. Do you see that time off, that layoff, having any kind of impact on their performance here? It could, and uh, it causes me some pause. But on the flip side, this break not that they wanted it to happen, it allowed Jalen Suggs to be completely healthy. If you remember in that last game um, that they played in Indianapolis, he had a pretty scary uh, ankle situation that looked like it could have been more serious than it was against West Virginia. He was kind of hobbling in the second half. Um, now he's. Com- I, I actually spoke with Mark Few. He's completely healthy. So that is a huge plus in waiting for this game. I also think kind of to what we spoke about earlier, the experience matters. And so this is exactly a case where they had a disruption. Now they come back and they should be able to pick it right up because they've been in this position before. The big thing for Iowa, this is their first game out of Iowa City. How do they handle travel? Apparently they're going to bus up to South Dakota instead of fly. You know, how do they deal with just a new environment? They've shot incredibly well at home Completely new arena for them to shoot in. Gonzaga actually has not played at home yet. They've only been playing on the road. So I'm going to give the edge to Gonzaga in this matchup with Iowa very slightly. I hope it all happens as scheduled, and I think it could be a preview of the Final Four of the National Championship. Yeah, no doubt. Gosh, you make a good point about a first game for Iowa away from Iowa. But, uh, man, I still have a hard time seeing anybody slowing down Iowa at the moment. But number 20, Ohio State versus number 22, North Carolina. This game's in Cleveland as part of the CBS Sports Classic. Uh, Ohio State, they're still unbeaten. North Carolina still kind of searching for a big win. Uh, Who do you like winning this game? I'm going to go with Carolina. You know, EJ Liddell not playing. Seth Towns, let's see what his status is. But I like Carolina in this matchup. I think their bigs, in terms of depth, will be a problem for the Buckeyes. Um, And even though North Carolina has lost you know, a couple of their big games at Iowa and then the Texas game, they played pretty well in stretches and and really could have won Texas. Obviously, Matt Coleman hits a shot to beat them. And Iowa, 
you know, it ended up just being too much Garza toward the end there. But they played well overall. So I'm going to go with Carolina over Ohio State. UNC gets their first big win there. Uh, the second part of the CBS Sports Classic is UCLA and Kentucky. Neither team ranked, uh, but UCLA has a pretty good case that they should be. So UCLA, they've won five straight after falling to San Diego State to start the season. But Kentucky, on the other hand, you know they're struggling, and that's probably understating it. They've lost four straight, two on their home floor. Do you think the Cats keep reeling, or could they right the ship here against UCLA? So um, I'm going to shift uh, kind of similar to what I was saying about Duke with um, Kentucky. Uh, I just think they're too young and inexperienced in this situation. Um, UCLA has all the experience. Remember that in that San Diego State game, they were without two players that are pretty key to them. So um, not that San Diego State wouldn't have beat them anyway in San Diego, but still they've played really well with their full team. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Bruins in this neutral site matchup. Yeah, it seems like an easy pick uh, just with the way Kentucky's playing right now. And it doesn't really get too much easier. They got that Louisville game coming up soon, too. Uh, speaking of Louisville, number 23, Louisville at number 12, Wisconsin. This game is the makeup from the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, just put back on the schedule uh, as we're kind of recording this here. How do you feel about Louisville? You think they can remain unbeaten and get a pretty good road win here? They can, but I think the Badgers really have reset themselves after losing that heartbreaker to Marquette at the buzzer to Justin Lewis's tap-in. They, they absolutely blitzed Rhode Island in the game that made up for this game, Louisville. Um, really were clicking offensively. I thought they did very, I thought they really played well defensively as well. Uh, they are another team that have not left their sort of friendly confines and they don't have to for this one either. I'm going with the Badgers and their experience beating Louisville coming off their pause. Okay, next we've got number 17, Virginia, against number seven, Villanova in Madison Square Garden. Uh, this is another scenario where time off could be a factor. You know, Virginia has not played since December 4th. Uh, meanwhile, Nova, you know, since then, they've won at Texas and Georgetown. They look pretty confident playing basketball right now. Uh, who's your pick in this game? This is a hard one. Uh, first of all, no fans. So if there were, I would lean heavily toward Villanova because they would pack the garden. Um, I saw both these teams in person. And I saw, you know, Virginia win. And I saw them lose. Uh, and it all came down to whether or not they made three-pointers. Uh, you know, and Villanova, we've seen them play with fire. Uh, they got down big to Georgetown, then came storming back and won that game. Lost to Virginia Tech. I think right now Villanova is the better team. But um, I don't know. I just have a feeling that Virginia is going to clip them because Villanova's been sort of playing that line over the last couple of games. Uh, where they could have gone the other way. Now you could say, hey, look, they found a way to win them. Uh, so I'm just going to be a little bit of contrarian here. I'll go with Virginia coming off pause and beating Villanova. All right, so Virginia gets the win over the top 10 team. Uh, Sunday, we've got two more games for you. Number 13, Illinois, at number 19, Rutgers. So another another big week for Illinois where they get two games uh, picked by you on the, on the podcast. Uh, you know, they don't get any easier. They played Duke last week, Missouri this week, or last week as well. And then now they got to go at 19, number 19, Rutgers. They're playing at the Rack. Not an easy place to play over the last couple of seasons. Uh, do you think Rutgers stays undefeated, or does Illinois pick up another road win? Well, Rutgers, um, you know, they had a game against Maryland, as we're taping before that. Um, Geo Baker, um, you know, his status was sort of unknown. If he was going to be healthy enough, we'll see as we're taping what happens with him. But um, 
I just think Illinois is the better team. So this is a week, Illinois fans, where I actually have Illinois winning both games, uh, taking down the Gophers at home and winning at Rutgers. Illinois gets the sweep. I'm sure they'll love to hear that this week. Uh, last game, Oklahoma State at number 11, Texas. Oklahoma State undefeated after Cade Cunningham's game winner. Uh, do you think they get a road win here in the first conference game uh, for, for these two teams? I'm going to go with Texas. Um, a lot of other Big 12 fans are questioning that I'm this high in Texas. Uh, but, you know, look, Villanova was a little more experienced. They clipped them at home. I love the way Texas played down in the relocated Maui and Asheville. Uh, they've got incredible size and length that I think is going to be a big problem for teams in the Big 12. I'm going with Texas over Oklahoma State. Yeah, I like that pick, too. I think o- Oklahoma State's record is a little misleading. They've played several close games against, you know, I mean, just up average to above average talent, nothing overly special. So, yeah, I think Texas gets them, too. So there's 11 games. Uh, you went forward to last week, six and one week before that. We'll see if you can stay hot, Andy. Well, I think I've had a pretty good track record. I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but uh, I'm feeling uh, very confident. Yeah, should be. All right. Thanks, Chad. You got it. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, a big shout out to our Turner Sports crew, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and the entire NCAA.com team. I had the pleasure of uh, doing sort of a NCAA.com chat last week and we have exceptional an exceptional group of people who are working from home now like most people around the country but uh, they do an unbelievable job behind the scenes with everything that we churn out copy wise and content wise and it's just a great group to be associated with so thank you to everyone we'll talk again next week stay safe